The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, my name is Dave. I know some of you because I was at the retreat with you um, in, uh, in the winter or the fall, and, um, and it was just great to be with you. It was one of my favorite uh, times speaking. I'll just tell you a little bit about me. Um, I was a pastor for six years for college students in the Midwest, and um, then uh, was a uh, then went back to school, got another master's degree. I've been a therapist now for coming in nine years, which I can't believe. And um, you guys will start getting into that stage of life where you're starting to measure in decades, which is just I, I you know, you're like, yeah, be quiet, old man. And I, uh, but I'm telling you, it's really weird. We start looking at it, it's like back in my day. Um, so, um, but you know, one of my great loves, I actually was looking around the room here and I was thinking, my, my favorite number, about my favorite, I've, I've done this kind of stuff for, gosh, 20 years. And um, when I was 23, a guy kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you speak? And I'm like, I was, and I was at the inn. I was over at the college ministry right over there. And I'm like, sure, yes, I do. And I never had in my life. And uh, I talked to a group of, I totally lied to get into my first talk. And uh, and uh, just confessing that to you. And uh group of high school kids that did this like Bible verse memory competition. Like I'd never seen that before in my life. And had I had to enter that, I would have lost because I, I didn't know anything hardly about the Bible at all. I knew just enough. And, and But I had um, a passion um, for this, this uh, Jesus that... Um, if he's real, then he's everything. And if he's not, uh, let's not waste our time. And um, I just had really experienced the reality of Jesus coming in to my life uh, while I was in college and just was just so privileged to be in front of them. It was about this number. I, and I, I love it because it's just enough where it can feel a little bit more real than I really, as I get older and older, I don't like the showy feel. So that feeling of like, you know, really, really pretty people doing really, really awesome things up here, and I have to sit back and go, that's not me, I can't fit into that. I love this this feel. So I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, I don't need you to agree with anything I say tonight. Matter of fact, I encourage you not to. If, if it doesn't fit with you, I really, really, really like it when people are using the brain that God gave them to think about what I'm talking about and to weigh it out, test it, with your wisdom, of the, with your own understanding of Scripture as you talk with each other. Um, and um, I love that process. So if you've got questions or if you're coming up afterwards and, and you want to say, you know, Dave, I don't, either that didn't make sense, which I can be confusing, and two, or you say, I just don't agree. I really want to let you know that's okay. Um, when I do my work now with people as a counselor, I let them know that one of the places where I know we're succeeding is when they can come back and say, you are so full of crap. Um, I, and then what you said last week was completely wrong, and I don't like it. And I'm like, now we're getting somewhere. That's good, because I know they're engaged and they're using their wisdom, which I really believe God favors. Why, why he puts Proverbs right in the middle of the Bible, all the wisdom literature. He wants us to, wants us to learn to grow, to be disciples that can think. So you see Peter at the end of his, his journey as a disciple starts off as this rough blue-collar worker that's taking swords out every minute. And by the end of the time, he's got this wisdom that people are coming to him from counsel. I believe that's God's will for your life, that you are growing in wisdom. And so tonight, put your, put your thinking caps on. Get, engage your heart. Engage your wisdom. And um, hopefully this will get you thinking. We're talking about 
The series title is Beacon, the idea of, of what do we do when we're in the middle of a storm. And um, we're going to take the, from the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to take a prayer that's familiar to a lot of you, the Lord's Prayer. And for me personally, and I'll get to the, to the reasons why later, this prayer for me, when you are in the midst of the time when life does not make sense, when you think God should go this way, um, but he goes that way, or where it feels like what should happen or what should have happened has not happened, or that something that shouldn't have happened that 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 um, that that is inexplainable and inexcusable has happened anyway. Where is God? We're going to talk about that. I remember when I was 23 years old. And I was doing, I was at an internship in Colorado for college ministries before I'd gone to seminary. And, um, I, I'd been, you know, in Colorado and I was doing this ministry. And ministry for, for a college intern could be a lonely time because there's not really anyone that you're, you're same, doing the same thing you are. So there's people in college and then everybody else is a lot older. So it can be a, in a lot of ways a lonely time. So I was really missing home. I was really missing my friends and I was missing my family. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if right after we had the fellowship meeting late Tuesday night, right after fellowship, if I leave, like it ends at nine, if I leave at 9.01 and I start driving, I could be home in Seattle from Boulder, Colorado for Thanksgiving and surprise my family. And wouldn't that be great? Now, so I decide I'm going to do it. And I have this car that I bought for a thousand bucks, which was the Audi 4000 diesel, 4000 S for sport. It was, had a sunroof on it. And this thing was, was to me the most beautiful car I'd ever, I'd ever owned. I'd never really, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so this car was incredible to me. The only problem with this car is that it literally could not go over 55 miles an hour. You push the, you just floor it. And I, I have the memory literally of driving, I ended up driving this car back and forth to, to seminary, to the East Coast, to the West Coast six times. And I remember literally going up a mountain pass in this thing and this guy, this truck pulling up in, alongside of me and him going, you're going too slow. You're going too slow. And I'm like, I can't. Help it. I can only, it's up the hill, I'm shifting between second and third and first and second and all this thing. And a house. He's pulling a house. It was <laughs> right by this house. Moved by and I'm like, I'm, I'm humiliated. I, I don't, uh, sorry, you go, you go. I'll pull over, get your house. I just got beat by a house. And, um, so I take off and it's dark and it's, and you have to shoot up high, uh, I-25. And the only problem is I'm looking out there and there's this storm warning that there's this gigantic blizzard that's coming across the plains. And I'm thinking, no problem. I got my Audi 4000 Sport. I'm going to beat the storm. No problem. I'll just go like this, head over to 90. And right when it's there, I'll just miss it just like that. And I'll just, and I'll be, I'll make it home. No problem. So I start driving. It's in the middle of the night and I'm driving. I get out through Colorado. I'm starting up Wyoming. And all of a sudden, I didn't miss the storm. I was, I, I matter of fact, I, I just hit it perfectly to go through the entire storm. And suddenly, you know, there's this, and I don't know if anybody been to Wyoming in the middle of it, you know what I'm talking about then. It's not like a Seattle storm where we're like, oh, <laughs> it snowed a flake. You know, that kind of Seattle, I'm a Seattleite too. <laughs> it's cold. What, it's 35. You know, that feeling, where's my down, where's my down jacket? I need it. Uh, lost my brother back there. He's frozen on the sidewalk. I don't know. So there's, there's a, we're driving up there and it's just this bitter cold that's that's literally forming a sheet that's of ice as the wind is blowing. It's it's kind of creating this sheet that's slowly creeping across the freeway. And I'm driving. <laughs> that's the diesel sound. That's the best I can do. And I'm sitting there 
54, 55, 53, 54, 55 like this and all of a sudden there's this wind and people are pulling over and there's just this people stopping I'm like the problem with diesel is that it freezes so I'm not able to just stop and there's no people in Wyoming so you can't <laughs> stay somewhere so you know it's just a big tundra and um so you're just driving in this flat dark wilderness with ice creeping across and then like this and literally in front of me, there's this other car. I'm thinking, well, at least if they're, you know, with this other person, if something happens, at least we're, you know, nearby. Well, this car suddenly swerves to the left. And in front of me is this deer lying on the floor, lying on the ground with its arms straight out. No time for me to stop. And I think its legs must have been, sorry, it was not alive anymore. Um, the, the, some people were like, did he live? I'm like, no, he already hadn't. And the, and the, he had his legs out this way forming like a perfect ramp for an Audi 4000S diesel. That literally, like this, literally up in the air, like this, and comes down, bam! And I'm just like, I am really in trouble now. And I have, and I don't know what's happened. I get out of my car and I'm looking, and there's deer hair all the way underneath my Audi 4000S diesel from the front to the back, and I'm thinking, and the deer's back there, and I'm thinking, oh man, my car's never going to start. Sure enough, it starts right back up again. I pull out a lock of the deer's hair, literally wound it like a fisherman's fly, and literally hung it from my window that was for, you're my two truths and a lie. You know, it was like, what's that deer fur from? And I was like, you know, no one would ever guess where it came from. So I'm driving along. Turns out, literally, you know what I did? I, did, I thought, how could I have gone through that and not had any damage? Do you know what a sway bar is in a car? A sway bar is the thing that keeps it going straight. And if you don't have a sway bar, your car just starts going like, like, like just... <laughs> Goofy. So you're driving like this, but it just feels like you're in jail. Hung in just fine. It didn't snap until May when I was back in Boulder, safe and sound. But all of a sudden I'm driving and all of a sudden, whoa, my car's really like jello. And, um, so, but I made it and I got through that storm and I'm coming up. But the, what had happened is the snow had, had banked up on the cascades and it started melting. So there was this gigantic flood coming down I-90 on the Cascade Mountains. I literally remember water just just coming over through there and getting through the other side and finally breaking through. And literally, it's like 9 o'clock on Thanksgiving morning, pulling into my house, and I'm just this bedraggled, smelly human being. Hi, people. I think I slept like through 90% of Thanksgiving, and it was just one of those things. The one thing I remember about that time was feeling completely helpless. That feeling like I have put myself in a place where I can't do anything to get, I'm too far in to go back and I can't, and I, I, I have to go forward. And there's that feeling in life where we get, where we, we, we put things in place that make us feel like we've got control. You've got your finances going, some of you are going, I don't have that going. you got your job in place, some of you are in a place where you're going, I don't have that going. But we've got these anchor things that make us have the illusion that feels like we can control our universe and something happens where that goes away. When we're in it, it can feel as if the way we pray has something to do with it, or there's something we're doing, we're good enough, or we're smart enough, or there's something that God has sort of exempted us. And there's a, people that know me know that one of my passions about church is that there can be this subtle, subtle, subtle pressure. And it comes right out of Job, which is the idea that if you do right and you pray right and you dress right and you talk right and you act right, that God will exempt you from the consequences of the rain that fall on the righteous and the unrighteous in this world. That somehow we get a pass. And then when that goes down, all of a sudden we're trying to scrambling. What did I do wrong? Which is exactly what Job's friends do to him. 
They're starting to pick him apart. They're starting to say, you must have done something. Because the agreement is, if you do it right, if you say it right, if you dress right, if you act right, if you get involved in the right things, you will be protected. And there's this feeling of God failing us, this feeling of God breaking the deal. Now imagine if you're Jesus and you're starting your ministry You're looking around at a group of people that have been raised in the Jewish tradition. And in this time, it's a turbulent time. The the Romans are, are ruling Jerusalem. There's no sense of the autonomy of Jerusalem anymore. And there's been no prophets for 400 years since, since Daniel's time. There's not been anybody coming and there's nobody saying, God is here, God is with us. God is, God is doing something. Nobody is saying that. They don't all have their pocket NIVs that they're reading and going through, going through their scriptures. They don't have that. So there's this sense that God has left us. There's a storm. Jesus is coming into that time for them. That's why the Pharisees are working so hard. Some of you heard me say this before, but this is where the Pharisees get a bad rap of what they were doing. He's trying to get everybody, if we can all get together. Let's say there's, let's say there's 50 of us in this room. If all 50 of us can all of a sudden start dressing right, eating right, sleeping right, walking right, talking right, enacting with each other right, maybe God will start again and do something for us and restore us to where we were. Jesus comes into that time. That's why the Pharisees are so uptight. We give them a bad rap, but that's what they're trying to do. Good intention. Bad, bad methods. Jesus comes into that. And imagine that the first thing you do is you gather your disciples. The second thing you do is gather the people that are starting to see something may be up. Something's happening. There's something different with this Jesus. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you have been raised in the church all your life and you just, it's sort of part of your, part of the way that you think. And I love it that you had that blessing. But some of you know what it's like to have been raised with nothing. And there's something about Jesus that just, I don't know if I can explain everything about him. But there's just something that's true. That's all I got. There's just something that's true. And these are the people that come up with him to the mountain. And his first way of introducing it is, if you're broken, not if you're perfect. Welcome. You don't have to be dressed right. You don't have to act right. You don't have to talk right. You don't have to come from the right family. If you're broken, and you can see Something in me is real. Come on in. And he starts teaching them. Now imagine you're him. And this is what gets me. It's this picture of watching these people. And now you, but you know something that they don't. And it's not, they're not ready to know this yet. But you know that your ministry is going to be to gather them, raise them up, and eventually send them. But that you yourself are going to the crucifixion. Now, what would you do? Imagine if you were a parent and you had a little child. And imagine you could know the future. And imagine that you knew you were only going to live to a certain age, well short of when your child would be in a full-grown adult. I know a young man who this is his experience. His dad died when he was very young. And what his dad started doing was writing letters to teach his son at every pivotal stage, what he would teach him if he were alive. Gave the stack, and the son started reading him over and over. One of the finest young men I know. Amazing. You talk to him, it's almost like his dad is right there with him. 
Imagine you're Jesus and you're seeing them and you're saying, listen, I've got three years with these people. How do I equip them? Because the storm is going to come in their life and the storm is going to come when I'm not with them in in my physical body. What would you say to get them through that kind of a storm? That is the Sermon on the Mount. He starts preparing them. He starts, here's how you pray. Here's how, here's how you do things in a way that's going to keep things simple. When everything is blowing around you and you can't believe, you can't believe half the things that you were taught, you don't know what's going on, this is how you do it. And the Lord's Prayer comes right in the middle of that. I'm going to give you four things from it tonight. And then, we'll, 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 then I'm going to be gone next week. Um, I've got my men's group that we've been meeting for 16 years. I've got my men's group meeting next week. And then you guys are going to have a worship time around this. And then I'll be back for three more. So either after tonight, you've had fair warning. You can get out of here. Or you can bring your friends and we'll see you again. Let me read to you. In verse 9 of chapter 6, Jesus has just gotten done saying, Please, 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 please don't make prayer about image. Please, please, please don't believe that you can impress God into doing what you want, what, he, what you want Him to do for you. Please, 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 please don't use prayer as a time to make other people impressed with you. This prayer is about you and God when you are in the midst of the storm. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Tonight I just want to take on two of these verses. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I was, um, after I was a pastor, I went through um, a time where I worked at REI. And um, one of the big movements when I was there, and you guys are all, some of you are wearing stuff now that I can see what you would not have worn about 10 years ago. And what they, well, the big thing then was these jackets that had, Fleece lining collars and little cords that pulled the hood about 18 different ways and pockets where you could store your water bottle so that they didn't freeze and extra pockets where you could put your child if you've got one right here. Just a gigantic big thing. If you got shot by a bullet, it'd bounce off because the nylon is so thick. Extra reinforce this and extra reinforce that. And you just see these people walking around and they're just these tanks of jackets and they were super, super comfortable. Anybody have one of these? Zip in fleece lining and upon a zip zip in, uh, you know, insulated liner, the whole thing right there and just zip, 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 zip. And the only problem was it weighed about 90 pounds. So you would just see people just trying these things on. I think it fits, honey. My back's going out. Well, they started the, this movement as technology advanced. What they decided to do is how light can we make it so that someone can stay dry and warm in the midst of a storm? How light, how how compact can we make this and so that's where you start getting a lot of your ultralight stuff what i believe is that jesus has taken this thing is that in the middle of the storm for you this is a prayer that you can anchor into this is what if there's nothing else you can say you come before god when you're praying at night and you're saying i don't even know what to say jesus says pray this first word our big message here 
Jesus picking every one of these words carefully. He could have said your. Be fair enough. He says our. One of the things that you can remember in the midst of the storm is that you are not alone. Now that may sound simple, but how many of you were raised in a family that when something was wrong, your parents talked to you as if you were completely crazy? Or at work, you see something that could be made better and the people around you are talking to you as if that's insane. You may feel in your life like you're going through something and nobody else understands what it is. And what Jesus is saying is, don't ever believe that you are by yourself and what you're going through. Someone has gone through something like what you're going through. The exact thing? No. But one of the greatest pains that we can feel in the midst of the storm is that we don't make, that we're all by ourselves, that we don't make sense. That there's something wrong with us, that we're an island. And he's saying the beginning of the prayer is our, 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 our Father. There's a community. Somewhere there are people that know what it's like to be what, to be in a place similar to what it's like. Not the exact same thing, but a similar place. And that can be a beginning anchor point. Imagine jamming this anchor down. You are not alone. No matter how it feels, our Father. Our Father, I am part of a family of people. And it's not just the visible church. It's not just all the people that show up on Sunday. It's those people that are down on their knees in the midst of it. That are crying out just like you. And know what it's like to feel abandoned. You are not alone. Our Father. Number two. I had a talk with a friend of mine who is a guy that I just greatly admire. This guy... He's a therapist as well, and I've been with him since before he was a therapist. And um, I was just said, quickly, please get into the field, because this field needs men like you. This guy, when he was uh, in his 30s, lost his wife to cancer, and um, he's raising two girls. He's, he's married to a dear friend of mine, and, and um, his youngest daughter has um, Down syndrome, which is a challenge. Lovely, lovely little girl, and, and uh, but it's hard work, hard work. And... Um, He's just gone through it and has this incredible spirit. And we were talking with him. And um, I was like, you know, tell me about, you know, where are you spiritually? Like, tell me about your own walk with that. He's like, you know what, Dave? He goes, this is, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm searching right now. And the big thing that we were talking about is the difference where he could get to kind of this idea of a higher power. And the challenge that I have with that, what I think Jesus is getting at is don't mistake the idea that there's a higher power. That essentially, to me, the picture is there's sort of like this electrical force field. This electrical thing that kind of charges us. Wow, thank goodness for my electrical power. You know, this idea that something's making me move and something's making creation. Jesus is saying that is a starting point. It's not enough. Our Father, whether you, however the word Father has come down to you, for some of you that is a very, very difficult word because of the relationship you have with your Father. But don't mistake the times for what he's getting at. What he's getting at is that this God is intimate with you. No matter how it feels right now in your life, God is not simply electricity up in the sky. God is not simply some sort of universal gravitational pull that makes things expand or contract. What Jesus is saying in the midst of the storm, when it feels like you're by yourself, remember, there's an hour. 
We are together. There is a family. You are not by yourself, no matter how it feels. The second thing is that no matter how God seems, know that at least at the bare minimum, God is personal. There's an intimacy in the word father for him. He could have said just parent. The idea of father in that Jewish culture was a really, really loaded one. It was this idea of a bond. Our father who art in heaven. Third thing, in the midst of a storm, one thing that you can be sure of is that this life is not all there is. Now, i got to tell you something. My dad, who is um, one of my heroes, lost his wife, my stepmother, to cancer just over a year ago. 60 years old, 62. She was the dean of a seminary down in Southern California. Brilliant woman. Um, we didn't agree on a lot of things, and somehow that was absolutely fine, always was. we just hash it out. And um, just an incredible, incredible person. And literally found out she had brain cancer. They said, you've got about two years, and almost to the day of two years later, she passed away. And my dad is nine years older than she is, or seven years older than she is. And so now my dad's got to reinvent his life. So I've been traveling out back and forth, back and forth, and walking through that with him, and it's just been a humbling thing to watch a man go through this. And the one thing that anchors me in the midst of this, and I said this to her, her name was Susan. I said, Susan, I feel like we were sitting at the macaroni grill. We knew she had a limited amount of time. And I said, I gotta, I'll gotta. i tell you, I said, where I'm at is I feel like you're about 20 miles ahead on a road that I have to travel to. Like you're traveling right over a summit pass and I'll see you soon. In the midst of a storm, there is something that is in my faith that is so strong and it comes right out of this prayer is that when he says our, he's saying you're not by yourself. When he says Father, don't buy it that God is not personal. He is who art in heaven, trust that this world is not all there is and it is not the end of the story. So that when you see the news and you see the stories that are ending without good endings in this lifetime, what Jesus is saying is, do not buy that this is all there is. Romans 8.28 For all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And one of the great things that the senior pastor that I work for, a guy named Stuart Briscoe, would say, but the promise is not that it'll work out in this lifetime. All things do work together for good, but it, it may not be this time. It may be in the life to come. When you're alone, it is easy to say you believe. When things are feeling anchored, it is easy to talk about heaven. But in the midst of the storm, you guys, I don't know how to convey this in the way that I want to. It's crucial for Jesus that you understand that right now is temporary. It's a part of your story. Your birth, your life, your death, the struggles you go through the things you wish you could do over, the things that you wish you could do better, the insecurities that you wish you could get rid of, 
the things that you hide, that you think, if anybody ever knew this, no one would ever talk to me. But Jesus is saying, please understand, this is just a part of the story. That there's a place right now that is prepared for you. That's a whole different set of rules. whole different set way of being, existing, where things are right. Goes on, and he says, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I put those four together. Hallowed be your name. Right now in the earth, on in this chapter, for the most part, God's name is not hallowed. It is not set apart. It is not worshipped. Your kingdom come. What he's saying is, there's something that is not yet as it will be right now. His kingdom has not fully come now. Your will be done, we pray. Implying that God's will, His desire is not fully realized yet. On earth as it is in heaven, pointing again to this place that's not here. The last thing He wants you to know is things are not as they should be right now. So there are going to be times when things aren't fair. And you've had things in your life happen to you that are not fair. That is true. And one of the great things that we, that can cause distress when I see people, I watch them and I'm with them. I hear that. You are too. You've had your friends go through it. And we work so hard to try to make it make sense for them. This happened because this happened. This is the result of this. This is the reason why. This is the way that it works. This is how it's going to go. This is how it adds up. This is the reason why this world works. And what Jesus is saying is, in this prayer, understand that the world is not as it should be. These things are things we pray for. And then there's this added peace. Which I can't quite get over. C.S. Lewis says, I don't know how prayer works, but I know that when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. That somehow your prayer matters. How? Why? I don't get that. Why does an omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipresent, omnipotent God Include my prayers into this arena of how things are right now. I don't know. But make no mistake, what he's saying is your prayers matter. Your prayers for God's work have effect. So are you praying like they do? Or are you throwing your prayers up like you would throw a penny into the ocean and hoping that something happens? He's saying your prayers are important. They effect change. I was reading up on storms and what you do. I'm not a sailor. I don't know what to do. If I was in a boat and there was a storm, I would basically be pretty much in trouble. And I was reading up on this thing, and what they were saying is that you are. it can be really tough. But one of the things that you want to do is you want to get your boat inland, and you want to find your anchor point. I want to tell you, in all of this, these first two, these first two verses, three anchors that you can 
anchor, anchor yourself into that I think summarize this. One is you matter. You are very, very important. No matter what anyone has told you, taught you, has implied by listening or not listening to you, you matter. If you have a need, if there is something you are going through, it matters. And if people are talking to you as if they, as if you don't, you have some serious work to do on coming into an agreement with Jesus about you. Is how I put it. It's basically, you guys, I'll just tell you behind the scenes, that's the only work I'm doing in counseling is hopefully being some help of getting people to agree with Jesus about them. That's all. If you, for one second, think, I, I don't matter. Whatever's going on here, I'll just endure. I want to challenge you that what Jesus is saying here is you do matter. Second thing is, you make sense. When it looks like the world is not adding up, when it looks like the things around you aren't as they should be, it's you're right. They aren't. Trust that this is the way that for me is that if I've got something going on, I don't ever believe that I've got a hundred percent of the truth of what's happening, but I never, ever, ever, ever believe that I have zero percent of the truth. I got some of it. I know that what I'm feeling makes sense. I may not have exactly the reason why. But something, if I'm feeling it, something is happening. Trust you more than you do. And the last one is, you're not alone. You matter, you make sense, and you're not alone. Anchor points. Imagine, you guys, just what it would be like. If in the midst of the storm of your life, when you're going through this and you've got friends, this may not be for you tonight. This may be for somebody that you know. Instead of trying to tell, help them make sense out of it or explain it or tell them why God did this and God did that like you know. Imagine they tell you and they, they vent this thing that's happened. They tell you this, this story about their lives. And imagine you sit there and you say, i got three things to tell you. And that is that you matter, you make sense. And you're not alone. That's all I got for you. Bam, bam, bam. Three anchors. Storms blowing around, water's going around, but they could tether to that. That's a prayer for you. That, I think, what Jesus is doing was getting us ready for the time when ultimately he would be crucified. Ultimately the time when we would feel his absence, just like the disciples did, just like he did on the cross. Getting us ready anchors in the storm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this gift that you've given us. Lord, I remember when I was going through my own storm and my own place where I could barely believe anything. Going to Compline service, not being able to stand for the Apostles' Creed, because I didn't know what in that I believed and what I didn't. But I knew that somehow when we started reciting the Lord's Prayer, somehow it was just the anchor point, the thing that I knew in my heart of heart of hearts that was true above anything else. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.